Well, amen. God is faithful, and we count it a joy and a privilege to serve him, to know him, to walk in his ways. It's good to be together today. It's good to see you. A little fuller house this week than the last few. It's good to see you gathered today. It's good for those of you who are joining us via live stream to have you as well. I do want to ask that you would open your Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is there in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 3 is our text today. Nehemiah chapter 3. You even have a handout for the sermon today, so it's an exciting day. Um, That piece of paper there was not a leftover from a Sunday school hour or something. That is for you. Uh, Thought it would be helpful to you to maybe have kind of an illustration, an idea of what Jerusalem would have likely looked like in some aspect as we walk through our text this morning. As a bit of a review, before we dive into chapter three, I think it's important to remember the last two chapters just kind of to freshen up where we've been. We know that in chapter one, Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king of Persia. He's serving the king in exile. He's a Jew, Nehemiah's a Jew. He's serving with King Artaxerxes there in exile. And he gets word by his brother that Jerusalem is still in ruins. Even though the rebuilding effort had commenced that the, the Jerusalem's walls were still down, the gates had still been destroyed, the city was in bad shape. And that grieves him. He develops a burden for what God would do in that city among the people. And in chapter two, we saw last time as Nehemiah endured a season of waiting and seeking an opportunity to maybe be used of God to see the city rebuilt, he moves upon an opportunity he has with the king to make a request. He basically requests the king for a leave of absence for what's going to be approximately 12 years uh, to go and rebuild the city. Not only that, he asks for letters to see him there safely and ask for resources for rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the city. And so he makes his way to Jerusalem, as we saw last week, and he gets there and he surveys the scene, he sees exactly what the need was, and then he calls the people together and calls them to rebuild the city. And that's where we find ourselves today. I think it's important for us to understand before we get to this text, because as you see, if you've not read ahead and you begin to start looking ahead in the text today, the passage before us is is something else. Uh, You're going to realize very quickly that it is a tedious chapter filled with a list of names of all who helped, not all, but many who helped with the rebuilding effort along with their contribution to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And before we read it, and we are going to read it, before we read it, I think it's important for us to remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Paul said in Romans 15, verse four, he said, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, when Paul said that, the New Testament didn't exist. He was referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He said, whatever was written in those days, referring to the Old Testament, was written for our encouragement that we might have hope. 
And so as I read this text, which will sound tedious to our ears, these are inspired words written for our encouragement and our hope. All right? So we're going to turn now to Nehemiah chapter 3, and we're going to hear from God's word as Nehemiah has assembled the people and they begin the rebuilding effort in Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshesabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Joida, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodeah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatia, the Gibeonite, and Jaden, the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon, and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Herahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half-district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedeah, the son of Harumpath, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaneah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half-district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanan, the son of the inhabitants of Zenoah, repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. <clears throat> he rebuilt it, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kol, Hohez, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, the son of, or, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, the ruler of the half district of Beth Zur, repaired to a point opposite tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Raham, the son of Bani, Next to him, Hashabiah, the ruler of the half-district of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, his brothers repaired. Bavai, the son of Hinnadad, ruler of the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the son, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the accent of the armory of the buttress. After him, 
Barak the son of Zabbi repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Elisha, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Elisha to the end of the house of Elisha. After him, the priest, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, son of Masiah, son of Ananiah repaired beside his own house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah, the buttress to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padiah, son of Parish, the temple servants living in Ophiel, uh, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as his house, or excuse me, as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite of the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Let's pray. Father, we know that as we open your word, that you inspired these for our good and you gave them for our hope and our encouragement. So Lord, would you open our eyes to this chapter this morning that we might see from it your words of instruction that we might learn, that we might grow as your people and that we might flourish for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the big question before us today is why? Why would God record the details of the rebuilding of Jerusalem in the Bible? And why would we spend time walking through this chapter on a Sunday morning? Why would I spend over four and a half minutes stumbling through a list of names? It's a good question, but it's an important one. And it's important that we understand it so that we can understand God's word. You see, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, its walls, its buildings, the temple, etc., was important at this time in redemptive history because God's people were returning from exile to rebuild the city just as God had promised. We sung a lot this morning about God's faithfulness to his promises. Well, one of the promises that he made his people was that after a period of exile, and punishment that they would return and be restored into the city of Jerusalem. And that's exactly what's unfolding here before our very eyes this morning. Jerusalem was to once again become the center of God's covenant activity among his people. It was to be a place of true worship where the true God was honored and glorified as his people sought to live out faithfulness for his glory. Well, God has not called us to build walls around our churches or our cities. He's not called us to migrate to Jerusalem and return to temple worship. 
Our role in God's redemptive history and in God's redemptive purposes is to make his name known through the proclamation of the gospel, through the advance of the gospel, through the making of disciples, through the planting of healthy churches and the living out of God, or the living out of, of lives that are transformed by God's grace for the world to see and for the world to be impacted by. So then how does a text like this instruct and encourage us to do that? Well, I believe that Nehemiah is a great encouragement to us today because we see how, in the details of chapter three, how God worked in the midst of his covenant community to accomplish his purposes. Rebuilding Jerusalem's walls and cities would require a massive effort, and it's one that, one that we can learn a lot from, even as we strive to be faithful disciples here in 2022. You know, if we are gonna serve the Lord with a sense of conviction, of passion, of, of purpose, then it begins, as we've seen with Nehemiah, it begins with the burden that God gives us from his word, from, from the Lord himself. And as that burden cultivates within our hearts, it begins to lead us to action and faithfulness as, as we see unfolding here in the book of Nehemiah. Yes, in different ways today, but really the same end is in mind, the glory and praise of God as God accomplishes his purposes in the world. You know, as we think about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of Jerusalem teaches us that God works through the efforts of his people to accomplish his will for his glory. So this morning we're gonna walk through this text and we're gonna see a number of ways this passage calls us to respond as the people of God, serving God's purposes in the world today. Several things that we wanna see as we seek to make application from this text. And yes, we can make application from this text. Several points of, I think, implied application that we find here. Let's walk through them together. Number one, the very first thing that we find in this text is that we can and should affirm the blessing of administrative skill. We should affirm the blessing of administrative skill. Nehemiah's skill and organizational gifts are seen here just merely as a demonstration as he mobilizes the people to the work of rebuilding the city. It's really fascinating, isn't it? As you, as you slow down, I mean, if you're reading chapter three in your quiet time, let's just confess how many of you would have really slowed down to, to, to analyze what's going on here. Well, hopefully you would, but, but we're tempted to say, well, okay, let's get to the next chapter. But there's, there's important facts here, even, as, even, if it's, even through the repetition that we see, the details, there's so much here that we can learn from. What we find is, is ultimately that this is an all hands effort. Nehemiah has returned to Jerusalem by God's grace, moving the heart of a king to allow him and to resource him to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And as Nehemiah returns, he has taken the time to evaluate the situation. He, he's gone out around the city, he rode around the city, he looked at the damage, and he organized the people to be deployed for the work that was to be accomplished. He shows us the value of applying administrative skill and wisdom to God's kingdom purposes. And I think that's important. Now, before I unpack that a bit, I want you to remember something. 
We've seen this from chapter one and chapter two. In chapter two, Nehemiah knows that it is the Lord who has put this work in his heart. That's in verse 12 of chapter two. He believes in verse 18 of chapter two that it's God's hand that's upon him to do good. And in chapter two, verse 20, that God would make them prosper. Nehemiah is radically God-centered in his perspective of what God is going to do in Jerusalem. He believes it's God's hand. He believes it's God's work put in his own heart. And yet he still takes the time to strategize and organize for this effort. He doesn't return to Jerusalem and say, God's put this on my heart. Let's just do it. Listen, God is not honored when his people haphazardly go about ministry. What we see here is an organized effort. Notice in the text that Nehemiah divides the work among some 44 groups of people that were assigned over 40 sections of unequal length of the wall surrounding Jerusalem. And if you were to look at your nice little handout, you can, you can see that. You can see, beginning with the sheep gate, there kind of at the top of your page, that Nehemiah organizes the structure of this chapter in a counterclockwise fashion around the city walls. And as you walk through this text, you can see these gates that are listed here, and he kind of organizes his recording of this effort on those gates. Chapter three, verses one and two, reference to the sheep gate, then the fish gate, then the old gate, then the valley gate, then the dung gate fountain gate, the horse gate, the inspection gate, all the way back to the sheep gate. We see that Nehemiah even takes the care to assign certain tasks to people who lived in proximity to their own house and or, or who had a vested interest in a particular part of the city. You see that, for example, in the first two verses as he begins with Elijah, the high priest and his brothers, the other priests, who took care of the sheep gate. That's where the, the sheep would enter for, for temple sacrifices, etc. In other passages, you see how other people and other priests were assigned work that was in close proximity to their own homes. He understood, and he understood rightly, that there would be more of a motivation to repair the areas closest to their home or their particular ministry in the city. That's just wisdom. He took the time to understand. He took the time to plan and to organize this effort. Listen, planning is an important part of serving the Lord. We don't just stumble our way into accomplishing the purposes of God in the world. I think this is instructive in that way. You know, I wanna be, I wanna be somewhat careful in, in saying this, but, but I think that sometimes today, there is often what I would call an over-spiritualized approach to ministry. Now, before I unpack what I mean by that, let me say this, I fully believe in the third person of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit exists, that he indwells us, that he leads us, that he guides us, that he illuminates us, that he convicts us, that he leads us in this world and that we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us to accomplish the purposes of God in the world. So I fully believe that we ought to be spirit led, absolutely. 
But sometimes God's people will not do the hard work of evaluating, strategizing, planning, because that doesn't seem spirit-led. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit can work just as much in your planning and your strategizing and in your organizing as he can when the ministry is actually unfolding. Nehemiah knew that God had his hand all over this work and yet he still took the time to plan, to coordinate, to organize. Now, at the same time, I will say that sometimes, and maybe, maybe this is more our tendency, sometimes we can over-depend upon planning and we get so caught up in the details of things that we forget about the Holy Spirit and that's, that's an error. What you find here is Nehemiah understanding that the hand of God was at work in him and through him and yet he took the time to apply administrative skill to this effort, knowing that God works even through that. So you think, okay, well, that, that's how that happened with this work. Well, what's our plan? And again, our plans, our, our activity, our mission activities today are very different than what the people of God in Nehemiah's day were called to. We're not, we're not building walls, we're not building temples or cities or anything like that. Well, again, our, our plan or our mission, broadly speaking, here at Redeeming Grace, we summarize it in three words, that we're to exalt the Lord, to equip disciples, and to engage the world with the gospel. And if I could add a fourth one, I would say encourage. We're going to encourage the body of Christ by living out the one another's. So we have this broad mission that we're called to, to go and make disciples, and then that broad mission gets unpacked in very specific ways as God calls and equips his people to fulfill that greater work. But the point is this, we need to affirm this blessing of administrative skill. We, we need to affirm the goodness, the appropriateness of actually taking the time to think to pray, to plan, and then to pursue a course of action as we seek to be faithful to the work of God in this world. God's work is important work. It's the most important work you will ever do in this life. And I think sometimes we can dangerously and just kind of haphazardly go about that work and, and just almost blame the spirit of God as if we're just trusting the spirit to, to pastors will often talk about it. There are pastors, plenty of them in the world that exist today. They have no idea what they're preaching until Saturday night. And they're just trusting the Lord to give them a, give them a word. And I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't do that at specific points in times, but friends, it's okay. God can work. The spirit of God is at work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just as much as he is on Sunday. So we need to understand that there's this, this, I don't want to call it a balance or a tension, but somewhat. We need to depend upon the Spirit, but we need to understand the Spirit works in a, in a variety of different ways. And it's okay, and it's good even, right, to plan and to organize. Number two, not only do we need to affirm the importance of planning and administrative skill, we need to value our unity amidst diversity. And you see this in this text as the people work together. Back in chapter two, verses 17 and 18, the people led by Nehemiah commit themselves to the work of rebuilding. You see that there. Back in chapter two, 
Nehemiah says to them, you see the trouble, verse 17, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them, that the hand, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. There's where they all agreed. Let's do this. Let's get together and let's, let's rebuild the city. It was gonna be a huge undertaking. And chapter three shows us just how massive of a work this was. But I want us to consider several things as, as the people of God work towards this common goal of rebuilding the city. I want us to see a few things with regard to their unity. First of all, it was an all hands effort. It was an all hands effort. As you walk through this chapter, and as you listen to name after name after name, you're gonna see not only is there just a list of names, there, there's, there's descriptions given. Nehemiah takes the time to not only list their name, but to, to explain in many cases who they are and, and what role they played in society or within the covenant community. Some are divided up by family units. Some are recognized by towns, others by their crafts or their trades, such as the goldsmiths, the perfumers, the, the merchants. Some were city officials. You see that there uh, as you make your way, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, etc. Others were spiritual leaders, the priests, the Levites. Even some daughters of one of the men are referenced here. Even they got involved in the action. So it was an all-hands effort. It was, a, it, was, it was an effort that included people from all kinds of backgrounds, lower class, middle class, upper class, male, female, religious officials, city government officials, businessmen, traders, etc. And I think that's something that we should see as an encouragement. Because isn't that way, brothers and sisters, isn't that way that God's also designed his church? Isn't that the way he's arranged his church? We all have a variety of different backgrounds and experiences, contributions, gifts, skills, experiences. And yet we are all called through the same gospel to serve the same God in the same kingdom. He brings us all together through the gospel so that we might serve the same purposes in the world. As the people worked here in Nehemiah 3, they were all given various sections of the wall to repair. Now, they weren't all of equal length. Some had more than others. But again, the passage follows seven different gates. Again, the sheep gate, for example, let the sheep in for temple sacrifices and offerings. The dung gate. Yes, that's exactly what you think it is. That's where the manure and the waste from people would be discarded. And I'm sure there was a waiting list to work on that particular gate. Some sections of the wall would have, I guess, played more of an important role, more, a more important role than others. Maybe some sections of the wall would have been more glamorous to work on than others. But the city would not be secure. The city would not be what it was to be until all the work was completed. And the people committed themselves to that. Everyone served a role. 
And that's exactly what God's work requires of us. God's work requires everyone committing to serving, even those tasks that are less flashy, in order for God's kingdom to advance and for his purposes to unfold in the world. As we think about the work today that we're called to as the people of God, we know that we have a very different focus than wall building, but all of us have a role to play. As 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us, we are many parts but one body. And all the different parts function so that the body functions as God has designed it. We know that in Ephesians chapter four, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, he talks about how how God had given some to be pastors and teachers in order to equip the saints, the, the people of God for the work of the ministry, right? That's the model we have in the Bible. Ministry is not accomplished by professionals. Ministry is accomplished by the entire body of believers working and serving in concert together for for a greater cause than themselves. Brothers and sisters, each of you have a role to play in the kingdom of God. We've been given a massive assignment. Go make disciples of the nations. Not any one church can do that. Not any one Christian can do that. That's, that's way beyond us. But as God's people are gifted and equipped and gathered in local communities called congregations, and as those congregations strategically seek to work out their purpose and plan in their local community, city, region, nation, and world, as we work together, we can see the purposes of God accomplished. Friends, the work of this local church the work of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church will not be accomplished by a mere few. If you are expecting me and Jeremy to accomplish the work of Redeeming Grace, you're in big trouble, first of all. Two boys from Tennessee, that's not good, right? You're already in trouble. But it's not, old, I mean, we have a lot of, of interest in seeing the ministry here, obviously. But friends, it's, it's all of us together. In some sense, all of us are ministers of the gospel. We're all called to serve, to engage. All of us have a role to play. And praise God, I just want to affirm you as a church. Praise God that, that you model that really well. I know there's always examples of where we can, we can identify where certain people aren't serving or, or at least we don't see visibly or they don't have a, a role assigned by their name. But let me just say, by and large, you model this really well. I, I, I've not been involved in many churches, but of the churches I've been involved, more of you serve in a variety of different ways than I've, than I've ever experienced. And I'm thankful for that. I affirm you, keep doing that and keep doing it well. I mean, I could just go down list after list of things formally we talk about Sunday morning ministry and some people that have a role to play that accomplish it. I mean, the fact that you're sitting in that chair, somebody put that there for you this morning. A number of people did that. They rolled out the carpet for you, right? The, the people are serving behind the scenes. But I, but I can show you so many other ways this week of how people are serving that you will never know about. People who visited people who are suffering. Somebody in this church saved Alex's beard this week just served him that way. Some of you 
taking people to get COVID tests. Some of you are making visits and, and serving meals with people and, and just doing things nobody else is gonna ever know about. I can just, as I look out, I just, I, I can't see of, I can't see many people who are, are just, just showing up on Sunday and checking that box. I, I affirm you in that, but let's listen. Let's not give up. Let's, let's not just cut back the work. We have a role to play until God calls us home. Let's keep the hand to the plow. Let's keep serving the Lord. Let's keep at it. So that 20, 80% rule, 20% of the people doing 80%, that doesn't apply at Redeeming Grace. And I'm thankful to God that it doesn't. But let's keep at it. And for those of you who maybe are less engaged, let's get engaged. Let's help you do that and do it well to God's glory. Get in and serve faithfully. It's an all hands effort. But number two, it's a collaborative effort. It's a collaborative effort. I want you to look specifically at verses six through 12. I'm not gonna reread that text necessarily, but I just, as you, as you kind of lay your eyes on that passage, I want, want you to notice this repeated phrase, just taking this section here. You see it in verse seven. And next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite and Jaden the, Mar the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon. Verse eight, next to them, next sentence, next to him. Verse nine, next to them. Verse 10, next to them. You see the pattern, don't you? Shows how God's people all served in this great effort side by side. Their collaboration is commendable. The priests and the leaders, the government officials are serving side by side with the people. As in many ways, that's the way it ought to be. God's people doing what God's called them to do no matter the title or status. They all gladly did it, most of them, alongside of one another. Just a reminder, friends, that gospel ministry, gospel ministry is not a Lone Ranger activity. We're all on the same team. We all have a role to play. I know sometimes we talk this way, but we, we shouldn't. We shouldn't talk about how this is my ministry and that's your ministry. No, it's God's ministry. He's invited us to take part in it all. You may have a, a unique role to play here and I there, but it's not ultimately our thing. It's God's thing that he's given us the privilege of joining in on. And we should see it that way, that no matter what we do, there's no place for this territorial mindset in the church. So whether it's holding a baby in the nursery or mentoring a new believer, sharing the gospel, serving on a short-term mission team, serving on the setup team, it's all kingdom work to some extent. So friends, we need to remind ourselves that our unity is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing that gospel advance to bring transformation to lives and communities for the glory of God. And all of us have a part to play in that. We need to value our unity amidst the diversity. There's all kinds of differences in this room and different strengths you bring to bear in this church. And that's a good thing. But we're all called for the same overarching goal of God's glory and gospel advance and disciple making in this community and to the ends of the earth. Number three, third thing that we take away from this text 
is that we should recognize the commitment of God's people. Something I think would be easy to overlook from this passage is the fact that Nehemiah takes the time to record their names. It's a reminder to us that the Lord preserves their names in recognition of their work. Think about that. I mean, think about that. Do you think that Malchijah in verse 14 ever imagined as he worked on that smelly dung gate that a group of people in Southern Maryland would be talking about him over 2,400 years later? He recognizes them, not to hold them up for their glory, but he's, his, his point is that, listen, God's work is being accomplished by, yes, they're named here in chapter three, but had you skipped over that, they wouldn't have been names. You wouldn't have heard their name. It's a reminder to us that God uses those in high positions and those in low positions. He uses the upper class, the lower class, male and female, rich and poor. He uses people from all kinds of different backgrounds to bring about his purposes and we ought to recognize that truth. Not only does Nehemiah list them, there's some noted examples he points out here as to the way they worked. Some worked with care, depending on the translation, you may or may not see this in verse 20, Barak the son of Zabbi repaired some translations, it says that he vigorously repaired or he carefully repaired. He's commended for the way about in which he went about his work. We know that according to the passage that some did more work than others. We don't know why, perhaps because some may have had more time or, or more skill. But in verse 21, Merimoth completed another section, meaning one in addition to one he had already done. If you reference in verse four, he's mentioned there. Then again in verse 21, must have been a fast worker, right? Verse 24 says that Benui repaired another section. Verse 27, that the Tekoites repaired another section. Again, they had repaired one already in verse five. Verse 31, Meshulam repaired another section. Again, referenced in verse four. Some were doing more work than others, and that's not to say that they were better than others, that they were more important, but again, recognizing their labors. It shows us that God sees the work we do and in how we go about it, and that that matters. How you do what you do for the Lord and how much you do for the Lord is seen by the Lord and will be recognized. But there were some See this in verse five, some who didn't serve the Lord. Look at verse five. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Nothing like being called out in the Bible for not serving the Lord. Their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. We're not, exactly told, we're not told exactly why, but friends, their motive doesn't matter. They're unwilling to serve, period. And God takes note of those who refuse to serve him. Just as he takes note of those who do serve him and how they serve him, he takes note of those who refuse to serve him. And that's a sad mentality to observe here in this passage, but it can often be true in the church. How many times have maybe we said or thought 
Well, it's not my job to do that. Or I, I don't really want to do that. It's a need. It's not, getting, not being accomplished. Friends, we need to recognize that there are those who will often, and sometimes it's true of our own hearts. It's been true of my heart at times, who have a bad attitude and don't want anything don't want to do anything to contribute to the overall ministry of the church, and that's a sad indictment. Listen, God, God sees that. Others may not see that, but God sees that. Take note of that. Let that be somewhat of a warning to us and a check to our own hearts about our motive for ministry and whether or not we are engaged in ministry and how we're going about that ministry. God sees it. But overwhelmingly so, the vast majority serve the Lord in this work. They do what they're asked, and at least in this passage, without any complaint. And Nehemiah recognizes them. He could have made chapter three a lot shorter and easier for preachers by simply saying, this would have been true. He could have said this, this could have been chapter three. And the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people were given various sections of the wall to repair, and they did so. And that would have been true. We could have gone right to chapter four and not missed a beat, but that's not what happens. Nehemiah, with that overarching reality in mind, begins to unpack name after name, section after section, person after person, contribution after contribution of what the people did. He takes the time to record their names, their occupations, And though this list is not likely exhaustive, it still demonstrates the value of recognizing those who serve. It's good for us to honor and recognize those who serve the Lord. Notice too, by the way, the one name that's not listed in this passage, Nehemiah. Some of you may be quick to detail and say, well, ah, verse 16, Nehemiah's name's listed there. Not the same Nehemiah that wrote the book. Not the same Nehemiah that's a cupbearer that's leading this effort. Different Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the project manager of this work, doesn't list his own name. I think it shows his humility. It shows shows his good leadership and how he's there to mobilize the people for the work and he wants to recognize them, affirm them in that work that they're called to do. Well, brothers and sisters, we've not been called to rebuild and repair a wall around St. Mary's County. But we've been called to a greater task. And that task requires all of us working side by side for the cause of the gospel in the world. It requires us partnering together as God's people within this church, partnering with other churches, partnering with other ministries to see God's work advance in our community, that our state, our nation, and the world. It requires us to all be in for this work. Nehemiah was a great project manager. A lot we can learn from this rebuilding effort here in Jerusalem. As we've seen this morning, we can see the value of good administration, good planning. The pursuit of unity being vital. Even as we all contribute in different ways, we're contributing in our different ways for the same goal and how it's good to recognize the contribution of others. At the end of the day, what we see in this text 
is that God's people did exactly what God through Nehemiah led them to do. They did it. Not without opposition, but they did it. The question for us is simple, are you doing the same thing? Friend, are you fulfilling the calling that God has given you specifically in this greater work that God is doing in his church and throughout the world today? Are you fulfilling that call God has placed on your life? Have you taken your place at the wall, so to speak? Are you putting your hand to work? You see, God's kingdom work is an all hands effort. Sometimes your role may change in that work. Sometimes it may look different depending on the season and way that God's called you. But each of us are called to be committed to that work. There's no such thing as taking a break from ministry. You may take a break from a particular role to give your time and effort and energy in other ways to serve the Lord. But we're all called to serve him. See, Nehemiah had a burden which led him to take action, resulting in the fulfillment of God's purposes. See, God said he was gonna do this. He raises up Nehemiah, he gives him the burden, gives him a vision, he sets him apart to the work. And Nehemiah mobilizes God's people and they get the work done. Friends, the Lord has called all of us to take part in kingdom work. How you serve in that work will be different. It will vary, but the mission is the same. The glory of God, the advance of the gospel, the making of the disciples, planting of churches, seeing the kingdom impact the world. May the Lord give us each clarity in that work. May he give us clarity in our roles and may we pursue it with passion and with joy, trusting that Lord will, he will indeed accomplish his purposes in the world. He's already said he would and he will. The question is, will you get the joy of taking part in it? Let's not be like the nobles of the Tekoites who refused to stoop and serve their Lord, but let us put our hands to work and let us be faithful every day the Lord gives us breath. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for just showing us an example, a snapshot from history of how you used a people to accomplish a great task. Father, we thank you that we can dive into a passage like this and just, just see and observe the organization, the unity. And Lord, even as we see these names that no one in our day and time will ever know, Father, we recognize that your work is accomplished at your choosing, Lord, but it's accomplished through you choosing to work through your people. Father, would you help us to be that people today? Would you help us to be a people who, who organize and strategize and plan well for gospel work? That we would be unified in our efforts, to, even though we're, we're diverse people coming from different backgrounds with different experiences, would you help us all to be all in for the work that you've called us to do and to pursue in this community and to the ends of the earth? And Father, let's be quick. Help us to be quick to affirm those who serve and to recognize their labors, to encourage each other all the more as the day draws near. So Lord, we thank you for this text.
from Nehemiah 3. We thank you for how we can be instructed by it. Father, as Paul said, we thank you for how we can be encouraged and have hope because of it. Lord, would you continue your way among us? Would you continue to keep our hand to the plow and that we might be faithful stewards of the work you've given us to do? We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.